So last week, if you were here, we started a series in Psalms. Um, the Psalms are phenomenal. We did Despair, Psalm 88. Uh, today we're going to do Psalm 8. So you can open up to Psalm 8. Uh, it is a brilliant, incredible Psalm. But to set it up, I have to do some work. Because I think right now in America, we're in the midst of a crisis. And I call it an identity crisis. You've probably heard that term before. And you can actually see it if you just look at stuff like Amazon.com's best-selling books. They're like, know yourself, better yourself, unscrew yourself, but much more graphic, right? That's a bestseller right now. That people are like, I, I don't know who I am and I, I gotta try to figure it out. Right? So we're, we have this identity crisis. If you look at kids now, um, perhaps you've seen this shown before. The gingerbread person, not a gingerbread man, gingerbread person. And it's, the first thing is what? Gender identity. So talk about something that used to be simple, gender identity. Look at this definition. I'll read it for you. It's probably too small right there. Gender identity is how you, in your head, Think about yourself. It is the chemistry that composes you, hormone levels, and how you interpret what that means. Hmm. Interesting, right? Something that used to be so simple, right? You're a boy, boy, she's a girl. Not anymore, right? And gingerbread man, Gingerbread person, excuse me. What age group do you think that is intended for? Little kids, right? Here's my thing on little kids. They need to be taught. You need to teach little kids. Not say, hey, it's whatever you in your head think about yourself. Chemistry in your, right? That's what you, you teach a kid. I mean, what other area would we do this? Well, whatever you think, right? Hey, dad, Myron, my six-year-old says, Dad, I want to borrow your chainsaw. Well, what does the chemistry in your brain say to you right now, Myron? <laughs> Dad, I want to shoot the shotgun inside the house. Well, what do you think about yourself right now when you're thinking about shooting my shotgun in the house? No, it's insanity, right? You train kids. But we're not doing that anymore. Because we don't know who we are. So how could we possibly help kids know what they are? We have a crisis. And I'm going to argue that this is brand new. That if you could just reverse the clock 200 years, people didn't have an identity crisis. They weren't like, I got to go find myself. I got to get away and, and learn who I am. People would be like, what are you talking about? You know who you are, right? Like people were identified by their names. So if your last name was Smith, what does that mean you were? You're a blacksmith. If your last name was Miller, what does that mean? You're a millwright. If your last name was Tanner, what did that mean? You made leather. If your last name was, a, was Baker, what did that mean? You baked bread. Right? Heverly in German means talker. <laughs> it just, you're identified by that. Right? That was 200 years ago. And there are still places that it's true today. So when I was in Africa, uh, the region that we're in, 
Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania, that region, there's a tribe of people called the Maasai. Ever heard of the Maasai? Boy, they are cool. So they're the guys that jump, jump high like the Maasai. And they can jump high. And you can tell a Maasai right away because most Africans dress like you and me, but not the Maasai. They wear these blankets, kind of these robes. They have this stick they walk around with. And then they'll go on these long journeys and they'll take with them a container. And the container that they carry, like they can go a month just on that container. And it's full of, because they herd cow, they're cowsmen. That container is full of cow's milk mixed with cow's blood. And they just sip on it and they'll go weeks and weeks and weeks just on that container of blood and milk. And you can identify them right away. So here's a picture. See if you can pick out who the Messiah are. (laughs) Right? And, And Jason is actually holding their jug of blood and cow's milk, okay? All right, so we were invited over to the, a Maasai family. We had a meal with them, and we're eating this meal with them. And I, probably because of my position, I guess, they then gave me a staff, and they gave me this robe, right? So from that point on, guess what I did? I wore that robe, man, with pride. So look at all these pictures. Guess who the Messiah is? Right? Guess who the Messiah is? Yep. Guess who the Messiah is? Right? I mean, I was proud. Now, this is my favorite one. These are all Messiah pastors. Who's the Messiah? Yeah. I'm like, I am so proud, right? I, and you can ask the guys I went with. I wore all the way home. On all, we were like 36 hours in airports and planes. I kept the Messiah blanket on the whole time. I didn't have any pictures of it except for this one. (laughs) This is the Messiah at rest in Seattle. (laughs) Now, I am all show because in order for a Messiah to become a man, guess what you have to do? Well, you have to drink the blood and the milk. No, you have to go kill a lion barehanded. I'm not killing a lion barehanded, and I'm not drinking the blood and the milk. So I'm just show. But the Messiah have an identity, They're not struggling who they are or what they're supposed to do or they they just know this is who I am as a Messiah. And for time immemorial, what would happen to people is that's what you just be identity, right? It would work. So what happened? Where are we at today? We don't have a tribe anymore, do we? Who here knows the tribe they came from? Right? We don't have tribes anymore. But you talk to anyone in Africa and you ask them, hey, where are you from? They'll say, oh, my tribe is. They still have it. They're still close enough that they know this is where I belong. These are my people. And we've lost that today, okay? How about careers? Like careers used to define people. Now with careers, what we do is we just jump from job to different job to different job to different job, Right? So there's this new book, it just was published. It's called Death by Despair. And it's two sociologists that are looking at this skyrocketing suicide rate, right? That people that are hitting 45 to like 60, they're just in record crazy numbers. They're killing themselves. And they're wondering why that is. This is what they speculate. 
They said a generation ago, if you were a coal miner, that was something that you would band together with your group and you would say, we're coal miners. It gave you identity. It gave you camaraderie. It gave you belonging. Just, yeah, we're coal miners. But those jobs are gone. And they said, the new job, being an Amazon warehouse worker, does not give you the same camaraderie, the same meaning, the same identity. And because of that, people are going to despair and they're killing themselves. It's sad, right? So we don't have tribe. We don't really have career anymore. How about religion and church? Like church now, if you go back a generation ago and you said, what are you? People I'm Presbyterian, I'm Methodist, I'm Baptist, right? They had a crew of church that they were like, this is who I am. Is that true anymore today? Not really, right? We bounce to church, to church, to church, you know, finding one that fits us or whatever it is. It's not like, hey, that's my identity. And then really religion, broadly in America, are people religious? No, right? We're into self-improvement. We're into, hey, what's in it for me? Not serve, not give. Hey, what's in it for me? Or gurus, right? I'm talking to this, I'm listening to this guru. I'm going to this guru. And the next better one, they just switch to that guru as well. So we don't really have that cohesion anymore that gives us identity. We've lost that. How about family? Used to be family, right? Anybody ever move to a new city away from their family? Totally. That's what we do today didn't happen a generation ago. I just reread um, The Grapes of Wrath. Like that whole family, that crazy family unit, if you know the story, they uproot from wherever they're at, Arkansas or something, and they go cross country all the way to California as a family. Why? Because that's the way things used to work, but not anymore, right? Some of us leave family because we don't like them anymore. Like, I just want to get away from my family. I don't want that identity anymore, right? So these, what I'm trying to say is this. The ancient, bedrock, identity-forming forces don't exist anymore in our culture. So no one really knows who they are. And we're kind of orphans in that, right? So here's the good news in that. The good news is you are more in charge of your identity today than at any other time in history. Here's the bad news in that. You are more in charge of your identity today than you have ever been in history. And we're not very good at it. And because we're not good at our identity, we don't know what to do. When you know bedrock who you are, it becomes very easy to then know how to act and what you should do. And in that vacuum of, I don't know who I am and I don't know my identity, what happens is something will fill it. And today, culture's filled the identity-determining vacuum. And I think culture does three things to us. It says, this is how you now get an identity, and it's one of these three. Number one, you're identified by what you own. The clothes you wear, the car you drive, the house you're in, the money that you have, right? That identifies you. What you can post on Instagram about how much money you have it becomes your identity, Here's the problem with that. If your possessions are your identity, you become a slave to them. Possessions are great servants. They're terrible masters. 
So if it's about possessions and about what you own, look out, you sell yourself to that. And around your boss, you're an apple polisher. Just, ha, 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 that's so funny. Uh. And then around the other employees, you're scheming how to get his job. So there's no you anymore. You're double-minded. You're unstable. There's no consistent, this is who I am because you've sold yourself for possessions. Number one, you are what you own. Number two, you are what you feel. Like, I feel this way. This is that point that some people get into their life where they're like, listen, I'm not going to be identified by what you say anymore. I'm going to go off and I'm going to find myself and determine who I am, right? How I feel. Pretty modern. Here's the problem with that one. It, it has this idea that deep inside of you and me is this bedrock identity that we just need to get down to. Is that true? No way. You dig deep enough in your soul, you don't find bedrock, you find mud. Because we are a mix of just inconsistent desires, aren't we? I mean, we just, we, we don't even know who we are. The, the two pillars of America right now tell us that we don't know who we are. One pillar is this, self-improvement. All the self-help books. Be better. The other pillar is this, be authentic, just be you. Can you see how those two can't be friends? Right? Be better, change yourself. No, be authentic, be yourself. Wait a second. And those, you, talk, you listen to gurus and smart people, they'll in one sentence talk about this one and the other sentence talk about this one. I'm like, you, you can't be both. Right? We're inconsistent. There is no bedrock to get to. Right? On the one hand, we want a six-pack of abs. On the other hand, we want that Haagen-Dazs ice cream. Right? This takes exercise. This will give you an ab singular. Right? Which one is it? We know deep down if we dig, we're not going to find bedrock. We're not going to find consistency. We're not going to find identity. We're going to find nothing there. Right? So the third one is this. Not just what you own or what you feel. It's, and this is mostly today. I am what I say. I say I'm a man. I say I'm a woman. I say I'm neither. I say I'm an Eskimo. I say I'm a dog. Right? Like, so... Yesterday, I'm in Home Depot. I'm looking at something on the shelf. I hear what sounds like a dog barking and running at me. I think, uh-oh, get in a defensive posture. I turn, is a 15-year-old girl who has just spotted her teacher and wants to say hello to her teacher. Her teacher turns as well and goes, oh, I thought you were a dog. Like, at what point do you say to a 15-year-old girl, hey, that's just not appropriate. But we can't say that anymore because the dominant cultural identity now is you are whatever you say you are. It used to be mom and dad and where you lived and you were Scottish or whatever, but it's not that way anymore. And here's the crazy thing. Here's the problem with that. If you disagree with culture, you become the enemy that you are an oppressor, right? So gender identity, right? So I, I taught this this summer, that God made male and he made female. He made two genders. Now it's complicated, no doubt, and we talked about that. But there's two genders, male and female. Now I'll say that, that's what I say. But then culture is saying, no, 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 no. There's 72, culture, 72 genders, right? Well, here's the deal. 
One's right and one's wrong. They can't be, right? And here's what culture does now. Culture says, if you say there's only two genders, you are the enemy and you are an oppressor. And you must be shouted down. Right? It's now, it's like, what culture has said is this, we've gone animal, where might is right. So instead of there being a, a, a discussion, there can't be discussion, right? Because you're just wrong. It's now, if I can shout louder than you, if I can be more angry than you, if I can gain more corporate power and take away commercials from you and money from you, then I'll be right. It's that way now. But I thought it was whatever I say, right? I'm, I'm saying there's two. Why? Isn't that my right? Uh-uh. Oh, it's, it's your right if you agree with the predominant culture that's bringing this identity. Right? So th- this is what culture does, and none of those are good. Right? So into that chaos, you bring God's word. Into that, you bring Psalm 8, which is brilliant. So I'm going to read it, and then we're going to talk about it. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory, kavod, above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet, You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Brilliant. Here's what the Psalms are. The Psalms are poems that are condensed. If you left a pot on the stove overnight, it's whatever's left in the bottom, right? Every word has this incredible meaning. So we could spend a month just in Psalm 8. All I'm gonna do is I'm gonna scratch Psalm 8 a little bit, and my hope is tomorrow morning, you say, I, I want to meditate in the Psalms. I want to spend some time in Psalm 8 as well. I want to talk over this Psalm with God in the morning and see what he reveals to me, right? So it's brilliant. So let's look at this. Just the beginning of verse one. O Yahweh, our Lord. So you have one of the key passages in the Bible about human identity, And what does it begin with? God. We think, I got to figure out my Enneagram number. I got to take a Meyer-Briggs personality test. I got to figure out if I'm an introvert or an extrovert, right? But the Bible says, no. Your identity begins with God. I'm telling you, this is worth the price of admission. This one thing right here. The more you and I know about God the more you'll understand who you are. 
because you and I were created in his image. That we're supposed to be these mirrors, tiny mirrors that reflect back to God, his kavod, his honor, his glory, right? So the more I see of his greatness and his majesty and his attributes, the more I can understand my identity. So if you recall, we did Genesis four years ago, I think. In Genesis 1, I said, what you see with God is this. He creates, he takes from chaos and goes to order, right? Verses 1 and 2 of Genesis 1, it's chaos. And then what God does is slowly takes the chaos and orders it and forms it into a brilliant place for Adam and Eve, the humans, to exist. Chaos to order. And what I argued then was this. If you look at anyone and what they say find, where they find great purpose in their life, it's taking something that's chaotic and bringing order out of it. Right? We, we all love that. It's why Marie Kondo was so popular, right? right? Take your chaos and all your clutter and, and bring it into order. Although now she is selling more stuff to make it chaotic again. So interesting. But we resonate in that. That theology of God actually informs us about ourselves. Okay? That God is a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have age-abiding life. Right? You and I are supposed to be givers. And what science has found is this. They've done EKGs or whatever they do on the brain, MRIs or whatever to find out what lights up. They found when you and I give, the pleasure center of your brain fires. The pleasure center. When you eat a really good bar of chocolate, that center. When you're enjoying marital congress, that center. Why? Because we are created in God's image as tiny mirrors and we learn his majesty and his glory and reflect back the same thing to him. We find out more about ourselves, right? And then it, look at this. It says, oh, Yahweh, our Lord, not my Lord. It's plural. Right? We think, i got to go find myself. i got to go on a private retreat out somewhere and just kind of ohm out and contemplate my navel. No. Oh, Yahweh, our Lord, that we actually find out more about ourselves by being around other image bearers. So do you have a friend or a coworker or maybe your spouse that when you're with them, they bring out a part of you that no one else does? Has it ever happened where you just, because you're with them, it's just this other part of your personality that maybe never gets out at any other time. But with them, it's like, ah, it just comes out. The goofy side, the humorous side, the adventurous side, because that's the way we're designed. That we actually reflect each other in our identity as well. That we bring out something from one another. It's our, not my. We need each other to learn. Learn who we are. Learn about Jesus. That's what we need. So I have um, five kids of my own, 19 down to six. And I've had discussions with them since they were little. Identity in Christ, theology, what life means, purpose, all these things. This has happened to me so many times now I've stopped counting. Where my kids who I've just poured into will come home from like youth group. And they'll be like, Dad, you would not believe the message tonight. Justin was talking about our identity in Jesus Christ. I could not believe it was so awesome. 
I'm like, what? For 16 years I've been telling you that. He stole that from me. It's mine. And he's fired. That's it. Right? No, I rejoice in that. Because that's what we need. It's our, not mine. We need that. Okay, so we're through a third of a verse. Okay, now I'm going to speed up. Don't worry. But I'm just trying to show you how condensed these things are. They're rich and pregnant and incredible. So how majestic is your name in all the earth? You have set your glory, your kavod, above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. Jesus quotes that. To still the enemy and the avenger, singular enemy. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, just, God, wow, you're great. You spoke and stars became. Psalm 147.4 says, God remembers the name of all the stars. He knows the place he put them in the universe and he remembers their names. Billions and billions and billions. I cannot remember my own children's names. Right? Carissa, Bella, Gabriel, you here, right? I misplace my wallet daily. Right? It's just this, are you, God, your greatness. Wow. Then look at this, verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Here's your identity statement. This vastness of the cosmos. What am I in the midst of that? Right? Am I nothing? Am I zero? Am I a speck on a speck, orbiting around a speck, surrounded by other specks, surrounded by a galaxy of specks? So what do I expect? Nothing, I guess. Right? Is man nothing? Are we just trash? There, there's ways of actually thinking through theology that makes you and me trash. Which I always think, that sounds a lot like evolution, because evolution says the same thing. It just says you and I, are just, we're just gutter trash. Gutter trash that manage to stand up. We're bipedal trash. Which just, it, it confounds me that we're just a hairless ape. We're cousins to the chimps. Really? Anyone picking lice out of their friend's hair? Like, don't tell me if you are. Just do it on your own, man. Goodness, right? It's ridiculous. And I think I can prove to the most ardent atheist or agnostic tree hugger that the creative order is different, that we know it innately, that we're not just part of this soup, right? And here's how I do it. So my house right now, my wife, Charity, myself, my five kids, two foster kids, nine of us. So we're in our house. At my house, I have all kinds of animals, horses and Goats and chickens and dogs and cats and goldfish, right? So let's say the coronavirus recession hits. And financially, I got to make some decisions. Like there's only nine mouths I can feed and that's it. Okay? Who should go? Should charity go? Right? 
I mean, let's be honest, she's much more expensive than a horse. She's like a herd of Clydesdales, right? Financially, if it was just financial, right? No Imago Day, nothing. If it's just financial, Charity, you're gone, right? How about one of the kids? To be honest, man, the horse is more obedient than some of my kids, right? So should I put a free on Craigslist ad? Right, DHS would come. Like we know, we know that's not right. We know it. So, so there's ways of thinking that just makes you and me trash that is not Psalm 8, right? What is man that is mindful of him? Look, yet, verse five, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Anybody have any other translations beside heavenly beings? Say it loud. Angels, okay. Gods, what translation? New living translation. Okay, do a little Hebrew lesson right here. So that word that's translated heavenly beings, it's the Hebrew word Elohim. The Hebrew word Elohim is used 2,681 times in the Hebrew scriptures, right? 2,602 times it is translated God. 73 other times it's translated prophet of God. There are six other times in the Hebrew scriptures that word is used. How do you think you should translate it? I'm gonna say God. Right? Like there's no, it's not like a archaic term that's hardly used in the Hebrew. It's used over and over and over and over again. It should be translated, in my humble opinion, God, right? Why can't we put it that way? You have created him a little lower than God. Isn't that Genesis 1? Doesn't the Godhead get together on day six and say, let us make man in our image, right? Why, why do Bible translations fear saying something like this? Right? It's a psalm about you and me and our place in the cosmos. And it says this. The Bible says you were created just shy of divinity. That's what the Bible says. Man, I think that's brilliant. I think it's Genesis chapter 1. I think it's the way you and I were created. It's the way that we're supposed to know about ourselves. And then it says you're crowned. Who gets crowns? Kings and queens. That's who gets crowns, right? Every word, this is condensed. You're thinking through, ah, kings, queens. I don't know if it's a thousand times now at Edgewater. I say to you, listen, our design, Genesis 1, and our destiny, Revelation 22, is to be kings and queens with King Jesus, to rule and reign with him forever. That's what the Bible says. It's our original design that obviously got broken and crushed, but that's our design. We're to rule and reign with him forever, right? What are we crowned with? Wretchedness? We're crowned with glory and honor. That word glory, it's a God word. It's used about God. It's the word kavod, Right? Here is the definition straight out of my Hebrew dictionary. 
Kavod, heaviness, honor, glory, with honor, honorably, majestic, glory, splendor, abundance, riches. What are we crowned with? Wow. That's pretty amazing, right? It means heavy, really. There's one time in the Bible that it calls somebody a very fat man. His name is Eglon. The word very fat in the Hebrew is simply kavod, kavod. It's twice. It's just heavy, heavy. Dude's heavy, heavy. If you grew up in the 1970s and something just blew your mind, what would you say? Bro, that's heavy, right? It's this term. We have a weight, a substance to us. We're not insignificant and nothing. What are we? We have a kavod. We have a weightiness. It's amazing to me. So we look outside right now. And is that beautiful? Is that majestic? Is that incredible? Is it vast? Yeah, right? But you know what glory is even better than that? To turn to the person sitting next to you. That's God's crowning achievement. That's the one that he says, that's crowned with glory. My kavod, that, that, that's the person next to you. That's the greatest glory has, God has ever given to any created thing. It's you and I. It's when you think about that level of human, you understand why racism and prejudice is so horrific. It's why you know the unborn must be protected. It's why you know the elderly must not be warehoused, but must be honored. Why? Because they are crowned with kavod and honor, right? If you want to go see God's art gallery, look in the mirror. That's what Psalm 8 is saying. You're his masterpiece. This is what God thinks of you. It's amazing. And then verse 6, you've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. You've given us rule of earth. Right? So what God is doing in the cosmos, order out of chaos, beauty, you and I are supposed to be doing here in this little corner of creation taking the raw materials that have been given to us and then out of those raw materials, creating beauty and order, just like God does in the world. You and I are supposed to do it here. That Psalm 8 is an artist's gaze as masterpiece. It's what God thinks of us. And then it ends, book ends, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Because the more you know about God, the more you'll understand how we're supposed to image bear him. That's why theology matters. That we're supposed to look like our heavenly father as his sons and as his daughters. Triumphal beings. Okay, Matt, time out. I got a couple objections. Objection number one. It says we're ruling over, we're having dominion over the created order. I don't think we're ruling over created order. We got this coronavirus thing. That doesn't seem ruling over the created order. I don't know about this. Okay, I'll agree. Jonathan Edwards said this once. He said, why does the dog bark at you? 
because he knows you've quarreled with his maker. Right? Something happened in Genesis 3 that broke that, no doubt. Right? If you've ever, anyone raised pigs for 4-H? You ever tried to get a pig in a trailer? How much dominion do you have in that moment? Right? I still have bruises and cuts on my body from August trying to get one pig in a trailer, right? They're insane. I don't know if I had dominion. Although, we did eat the pig later, so I guess that's dominion. So, something worked out there. Okay, I get that. I can, I can hear that. Okay, objection number two is this. I don't feel like a masterpiece. I feel like a mess. I don't feel like I've got honor and kavod and all that kind of stuff. I feel like a mess. Okay, so this text, man, it's quoted all over the Bible. But in Hebrews chapter two, it's quoted. You can look at that, you can write it down, you can think about this. This is what Hebrews chapter two says. First of all, it just quotes, ta-da, there we go. It just quotes, right? That's a quote. And you'll say, well, he made him a little lower than the angels, Matt. Okay, creational monotheism. If I had time, I would love to go over the way the Hebrew Bible uses the term Elohim. It's fascinating, but I don't have time, okay? But that's just something to put in there. You've crowned with glory and honor, right? Put everything in and subject under his feet. Okay, next slide. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Jesus came, started the kingdom. He'll finish it when he returns. Inaugurated eschatology. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Where were we made? Saint Maria, just shy of divinity. Namely, Jesus crowned with glory and honor. What were we crowned with? Glory and honor, right? Because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everything. So Jesus, fully human. But notice this next phrase. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist. So Jesus, fully human, guess what? He's also a fully creator. The reason why we have what we have now is because of Jesus. And what did Psalm 8 say about God? God created everything. What is Hebrews 2 saying about Jesus? He created everything. What are those two passages saying to you and me? Jesus is God, right? A cardinal doctrine of scripture and Christianity. Jesus, fully human, fully God. Now, what does he do? And I just have this one thing underlined. What does Jesus do when he comes? In bringing many sons to glory. We're all messes. The glory, the kavod, the honor that we had as God's masterpieces, everyone has, has made a mess of it. Through sin, through mistakes, through stupidity, through sin against us, we're glorious ruins. What could have been, what should have been, we can feel it in ourselves, is broken. But here's the good news. Jesus, the only perfect human, you know what an identity of a human is? Just start reading the story of Jesus. He's the perfect human. Jesus says this, I will bring you back to glory. 
I'll chase death. I'll destroy sin. I'll destroy the law. I'll destroy everything against you that's holding you from your glory, holding you from what you should be. I'm gonna destroy all that so I can bring you back to glory. That's the offer. Have you allowed yourself to be brought back to glory? Have you said yes to Jesus? Jesus, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. I believe that God has raised you from the dead. The Bible says that's step one. And then the glory process begins. He brings you back to glory. So how do I do that, Matt? Well, we do baptisms every Sunday here. Because we believe the Bible, Acts chapter 2 says this. Repent, change your mind about God. Change your mind about sin. Change your mind about culture. All that stuff that's defining you, change your mind. God's not an ogre wanting to stomp you out. God is your creator, father, who says you can come home like the prodigal. Come home. Repent. And then it says be baptized. And so we have baptisms every Sunday out there. Does the water save you? No. Jesus saves. He's the only one. Baptism is your first allegiance to your king. You're saying, not my will anymore. Jesus, I'm obeying you. And if you say be baptized, then that's the first act of this new life. I'm being baptized. Repent and be baptized. And then we welcome you in to the family of faith. We welcome you. And Jesus begins to transform you into his image, making you back into the glory that you're supposed to be. And we have that offer every Sunday. For the rest of us, we're gonna take communion. And communion to me is a weekly reminder of the mess I am and the masterpiece Jesus wants to make out of me. That he gave his life for me to transform me in his image. So we get to take that and say, Jesus, I give you permission this week to transform me. So when I pray, after I'm done praying, you're gonna head that direction if you're on this side, and you're gonna head that direction if you're on this side and loop back around. So Jesus today. May we love your scriptures. May we allow them to speak to us May we be careful of all of our preconceptions, but allow your word to direct, to infect us. May the word become flesh even today and dwell in us. May we know that you and your desire for us is that we are crowned with glory and honor. We rule well, servant leaders in whatever sphere we're in, that we take on our Father's attributes. May we know that if we believed in you, we become your son, we become your daughter, and you will not give up on us, but you will transform us into your image. Romans 8, 29. So we pray these things in your name. Amen.